0: Thank you for joining me today in MX Asian American, or mixes Asian American. If you don't know, MX or mixes represents the gender-neutral presentation of Miss or Mister. My name is Karen Zhang, and I will be your host, guiding you through the Asian diasporic experience with an emphasis on the Asian American experience. Enjoy the show! Welcome back, everyone, to MX Asian American. Today, we have Colleen on the show. Um, would you mind introducing yourself first? Hey, Karen, I'm Colleen um, Leung.
1: I'm from Hawaii, originally, based in San Francisco today, and the founder of Unmute, where we provide culturally affirming uh, therapy to the BIPOC population.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Colleen, for coming on the show. Um, I always like to start with where and how you grew up.
1: Yeah, so I grew up in Hawaii. Um, I'm Chinese-American, first-gen born here in the States. So my parents are immigrants. My mom's from Southern China. My dad's from Hong Kong. Um, they met in Hawaii, actually working at a Chinese restaurant. Uh, my dad oh, wow. was a lesser, my mom was a hostess. And yeah, boom, there's, there's the love story. Um, So grew up in Hawaii my entire adult life um, and moved to the mainland to Boston um, about six, seven years ago now for grad school. And then just recently moved to San Francisco about a year ago. Um, But growing up in Hawaii was, I mean, it was a very privileged upbringing, to say the least. Weather is always great. People are really nice. Um, And it was nice to grow up where minorities were the majority, right? So there wasn't. Yeah, there was that sort of experience that's unique, in a sense.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, nice. Um, so I have never heard of any Chinese Americans growing up in Hawaii. So, yeah. How? I think we, is... we definitely
1: stay on the coast. <laughs>
0: right. Exactly. You're based in Georgia, right? Like yeah. I don't think there are many Hawaii people in Georgia. <laughs> yeah, I um I've heard of Japanese Americans there. A lot of Japanese Americans. A um, mm-hmm. lot of Filipinos too, but. Mm -hmm. yeah how how was your like transition like you said like you grew up in a minority majority area and how is it in boston (laughs) like your transition to boston
1: i mean it wasn't really that like there was no culture shock for me moving in boston Mm -hmm. um and i think it's because i went out for grad school at babson babson college Mm -hmm. and so majority of my class were internationals um so Mm -hmm. i think the americans um were the minority. So only 20% of my class were Americans and everyone else was from other parts of the world. So it was a really nice transition. I think in Boston in general, like if you're in the city itself, it's pretty diverse. Um, so it was a good, easy transition in a way for me. I, I know not, not everyone feels that way about Boston, but And then now, particularly, (laughs) right, in in San Francisco, now it's like everyone's Chinese here. Right. (laughs) right. Definitely the majority. And it's amazing. (laughs) It feels like I'm at home or I'm in Hong Kong because when you're on the bus, they speak Spanish, English, and Chinese or Cantonese. And it's amazing.
0: Huh. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I asked that because I also grew up in a um, minority majority area. um, Mm -hmm. It's called Duluth, Georgia. And when i went to college it was a i went to a pwi predominantly white institution mm. and um definitely culture shocked yeah <laughs> um, yeah i've never seen that many white people in the same release really? in my whole life yeah <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> i know um but yeah did you have um any idea of what you wanted to do like as you were going to high school college um yeah, I think for a long time
1: or at a very young age, like I knew I wanted, you know, to run my own business. I don't know if that's the Chinese side of me um, because of my upbringing, because like my mom is like, you know, like your typical child babies. Old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hustler, <laughs> uh, you know, invests in real estate at a young age. So mm-hmm. like. I remember, like, maybe when I was, like, 10 years old, like, my mom bought a foreclosed home, and so, uh, like, you know, put all the family savings into this, and it was super risky, but, um, and we grew up like renovating our house, like the, this, this foreclosed home. And so um, we learned how to do flooring, my sister and I um, oh. painting and all that, like literal child labor. Um, but it was really fun because we didn't know. We, yeah. You know, you're with your family and you're putting, you know, hard work and learning mm-hmm. these skills. So we never really complained. I actually really enjoyed it. Maybe my sister didn't love it, but yeah. Um. <laughs> Yeah. So I think at a young age we learned I learned business from my mom. Um, and so and I really enjoyed that piece of like the opportunity to make, you know, big money
0: <laughs> in mm-hmm. a way.
1: Right. And yes, so yes. like her, you know, putting that financial risk in buying a foreclosed home was then able to, you know, rent it out and get rental income and have the side income from her nine to five job. And she knew mm-hmm. she couldn't make the lifestyle that she wanted for herself and her family—just working a nine-to-five job, right—and so she invested in real estate and the stock market. And I watched that all happen growing up, and thought, "Yeah, I want to be just like my mom. <laughs> uh, she's a very Aww. incredible woman, and like, yeah, she's she's so badass. So, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: So, did you also go on to grad school for MBA?
1: Yep. Yeah. So I did my MBA at Babson College. Um they're well known for the entrepreneurial program. So it was a good fit. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a business idea going in. So um just really thought, you know, would with- go in with an open mind, meet other folks. So people in my class sold their businesses and then went to Babson or like they have family businesses they're working on. So was really Mm -hmm. exposed to a lot of people with that sort of culture and mindset. And it almost encourages you. It's like contagious in a way um, to, Uh to want to do something on your own as well too. And it's not really about doing something, right? Just for the heck of saying I'm an entrepreneur, but I really wanted to solve a problem that was relevant to me
0: um great segue <laughs> um, I guess it sounds like you and your mom had a great relationship growing up would you say so or like was there a moment in time where you were rebellious or like yeah fighting against her yeah
1: maybe I mean maybe she'll say I'm rebellious I don't think so I think I was perfect no, I'm just kidding <laughs> but, I mean I don't think I was ever rebellious sometimes my mom and I were like I'm like a copy paste version of my mom's, <laughs> but grown in America in a way. And so I think when you're so similar, it's you rub heads a lot, right? And so, um, yeah, I mean, and you know, my mom is your typical Chinese mom, right? Lots of pressure in different aspects of life, right? Whether it be career. Uh, personal life and all that. She has high expectations. And so um, that's something that I had to come to terms with and accept and understand that it's all coming from love and it's still a progress today and um, trying to understand where she's coming from. Um, but there are definitely been parts of our relationship where it hasn't been great. Um, but I think for myself, like I went to therapy to try and better understand my mom and have more patience with her. Um, so, I mean, that helped a lot.
0: When did you sort of realize that, um, your mom also struggled with like mental illness? Yeah. I mean, that was really the impetus for unmute,
1: um, was my experience in trying and failing to help my mom find a therapist. Um, Mm -hmm. it was about six years ago now. Um, I had just finished grad school and I was out in Boston. Um, my mom was severely depressed, um, pretty serious to the point where she had suicidal thoughts, and, you know, for me, like, you know, I speak speak of my mom very highly. Right. She's this incredible woman, super positive um, and always a go getter and happy and she's super friendly, has lots of friends, a very full life. Right. And to see her go from that to complete darkness was just that was a shock for me. And so I flew back home and I thought, you know, I'm going to help stabilize her. I'm going to find a professional, this person, you know, I never went to therapy at that point. Right. And like growing up, I don't know if maybe same for you, Karen, but like in my family, we never spoke about mental health. It was always taboo. It's like, no, like, yes. right. Yeah. And so I honestly knew nothing about mental health. I knew nothing about depression, Um, but just thought, okay. Uh, you know, like a doctor or a therapist is going to see her and they're going to help her and she's going to get better. And then, you know, that's it. We'll just go back to mm-hmm. our merry lives um, mm-hmm. because she'll get healed from that person. Um, you know, super ignorant at the time about how mental health worked. Um, mm-hmm. But so I went down that ra- whole rabbit hole of trying to find her a therapist. Um, I went on psychology today, like emailed 10 different therapists, called all of them, No one answered, right? Do you have a similar experience? I can hear you saying, oh, psychology today, (laughs) right? You hate that you love it. (laughs) Uh, But yes, I called 10 different people. Only one therapist called me back. um, And it ended up being a female Taiwanese woman. Um, So my mom Mm -hmm. speaks English. You know, it's ESL, English as a second language. But, you know, she can communicate pretty well in English. But she also speaks Cantonese and Hakka as her native language. Um, but I was like, okay, maybe a Taiwanese woman, they can speak in English. It should be a good fit. And so, you know, I sent, you know, kind of convinced my mom to try therapy. Um, and eventually she was open to it. I think she was so desperate. It, she wasn't initially, there's a lot of stigma for her as well in the beginning, Mm -hmm. but she was open to it. And I was like, super proud of myself, right? Like convincing your Chinese mom to go to therapy. Mm -hmm. Like that's a big thing. Um, and I, and I guess, yeah. So long story short, you know, I sent my mom off to therapy. I thought things are great. So I flew back home to Boston. Was a few weeks later, the therapist actually calls me and tells me, hey, you know, your mom's been no calling, no showing. Uh, I can't keep her on my panels. So I'm going to have to like terminate her as a patient. And I was like, what? Uh, the whole time my mom's been telling me she's been going to therapy. Um, but in fact, she was actually lying to me. And so hung up and called my mom quickly. And I was like, hey, you know, like therapist just called me. I thought you said you were going. And she's like, no, you know, therapy is just not for me. Don't worry about me. I'll heal myself. Like, like basically, yeah, just shut down the whole therapy option there on the phone. And that that's kind of when it all clicked for me. And I realized how critical or how important it is to provide the right type of therapy and have the right therapist match especially when you're coming from a community that may distrust mental health care, right? Once you're willing and able to go and try therapy for the first time, we can't fail this population, right? And then I started looking at the data. I started doing some research, like what's the dropout rate of therapy for people of color in comparison to white Americans? And uh, for people of color, it's one in two will drop out of therapy after their first session. Um, so that's that was my mom. Um, in comparison to one in three white Americans, which is already an incredibly high number. Um, and I thought, you know, that's that's the problem I want to solve.
0: <laughs> I guess, like, what, what, what you kind of told us, like, what you did, like, after you found out your mom was severely depressed. Like, I guess I was wondering what your emotional state was like.
1: Yeah, well, emotionally, I didn't understand how like, if I'm being completely honest, I didn't really understand depression. And I right. what I didn't show up as the best daughter at that moment. I remember mm-hmm. thinking to her, like, why are you sad? Like, why would you want to end your life? Um, right. Because we have such a beautiful life. Like, don't you want uh-huh. to see, you know, your daughters grow up and do all these amazing things, have kids, and you know, be a grandparent and all that. And I just really couldn't, empathize in a way and understand mm-hmm. why she would want to end her life and that was because I was super ignorant I didn't understand how depression work and that is it's, it's right. an actual disease like a medical disease mm-hmm. right the hormones change your, your brain physically changes or biologically changes and I didn't realize that until I picked up a, a book that my friend had shared with me it was called the upward spiral and it just talks about depression from like um more of like what happens to your body physically and I could was able to understand more so what my mom was going through and kind of have more you know tangible kind of suggestions for her to help her with her day-to-day right it's like going outside and like you know finding um joy in the things that you do um and doing those things um but yeah I was at a loss I think Um, initially and I tried to push her to do things like um, she loves shopping so I brought her you know to a new shopping mall out in Hawaii Mm -hmm. and that moment was super pivotal for me or critical for me Um, I remember sitting in the car we drove um, well in Hawaii it's considered far but I drove like 30 minutes uh, to this new mall (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) um and also like okay I'm gonna take my mom to this new mall we're gonna go shopping you know she's gonna this is gonna make her happy because you know usually we bonded over that um mm-hmm. but she wouldn't she couldn't get out of the car that day mm-hmm. and she told me that she wanted to kill herself and I didn't I I just broke down I didn't know what to do I was like what am I mm-hmm. supposed to do mom like am I supposed to send you to the ER um or like you know like I didn't know what to do and I knew to an extent that if we I did admit her then she would have to go into a, you know an institution and what's going to happen there right. um right. so that was really scary and I don't often share that piece as a part of you know as I'm sharing about the company because yeah it's still it's still very emotional to process um right. that day too for me yeah yeah well
0: thank you for sharing it it. It, it does sound, like, super scary. Like, this is the first time you've really seen your mom as, like, not a super woman, right? Right, like, right. Now, now the roles are flipped. Like, you have to take care of her. Mm-hmm. And and you're still, like, so young. You don't know how to do that. Yeah, definitely, like, super, super scary and, like, don't know what to do. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I can imagine right Um, and the more people I speak with about this like everyone
1: has their own version of the story you know it's like a spectrum and and yeah so it did make me feel less alone because I was able to speak to Mm -hmm. friends about it um and it's just crazy as I've built the company on mute over the last couple of years is some of the stories don't always end up as a happy ending which is Mm -hmm. super sad and so I mean, yeah, that's what gets me going every day if we're on mute is that, you know, like just one patient at a time, if we're able to help them serve their needs, like, yeah, that's going to keep me up, you know, keep me going.
0: Yeah. Well, so after you find out that your mom has stopped therapy, what happens next? Yeah, so I
1: took a pause and trying to convince her more.
0: <laughs> uh-huh, um, yeah. But, and,
1: and, yeah, I was like, okay, let me try. Chinese mothers, they're stubborn. Right, 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 right. I was yeah. like, yeah, I'm going to have to think about this one a little. So I was like, and here's me being super Chinese. I was like, let me turn this into a business
0: oh my gosh
1: (laughs) right I'm like let me turn this opportunity into business and so that's when we launched unmute so I had just gotten laid off from my nine-to-five job because of COVID uh during shutdown on Google (laughs) Meets I remember that day very clearly and I was like oh I mean you know trying to be positive I was like maybe it's a silver lining I can work on unmute full time
0: right and
1: Uh so yeah what we did I did I built um got a team together. We built out a matching platform. And so essentially what we did in the early days um, was we had an intake where people would, you know, tell us about why they're seeking therapy, what they're looking for in a therapist, their own demographics, their preferred demographics of their therapists. And we collected all this data and what we um, called and ran it through what we called our algorithm, quote unquote, uh, not really an algorithm in the early days, but um, essentially, we, I mean, yeah, that's how the tech world works, right? <laughs> Everything's an algorithm. Mm-hmm. Um, i trying to make it sexy by saying that. But um, really, it was humans <laughs> behind it. Um, it was myself and, uh, you know, a few others, what we called were therabuddies. Um, mm-hmm. And like, essentially, I was my mom's therabody in the early days. I was, you know, finding her a therapist, trying to, you know, tell her what happens in therapy based, you know, from my research. And I started going through therapy at that time as well, actually. So I could explain and translate to my mom, you know, hey, in your first few therapy sessions, did your therapist set some goals with you, you know, and I kind of like coached her through, Um, through that from my own experience, I wanted to create this kind of therapy model for other first time therapy seekers, especially Um, so. Their intake would come into our platform, they paid a matching fee, and then our therapy would run it through the algorithm. Um, but essentially, um, therapy also went onto these existing sites, right? Like psychology today, zencare.com. Um, all these sites define about three to five therapist matches for the client or the patient. Um, and then from there, the therapy will also reach out and do all like, you know, the grant work for the client or patient, um, calling these therapists, emailing them, following up, and trying to schedule a phone consultation. And uh, we also coach folks on like how to have a phone consultation, what questions you should be asking your therapist, how to vibe them out in a way um, to ensure that it is a good fit. And then from there, we book the first session with that therapist and kind of, you know, let them go on their therapeutic journey. So all these therapists were independent; um, they weren't a part of, you know, Unmute. But we were just kind of this concierge service in the early days. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I gotta say, this is such such like a needed resource for the BIPOC community and are buddies. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because I remember when I, I mean, I my first time getting therapy was through my college, and there was only one person of color like therapist (laughs) (laughs) and she was always booked of course (laughs) right right but yeah definitely a need um so as you're as you were building out um unmute like did you encounter any difficulties
1: yeah well i mean if we look at things from a macro level there's a supply and demand Uh, um imbalance right there's not like you were saying Karen right at your university there weren't enough supply of therapists of color but way more demand of people seeking right therapy that are people of color that are looking for that therapist and so then again I started doing more research in the space of like what actually makes a good fit right of a therapist and That's when I stumbled on my co-founder's research, um, Dr. Doris Chang out of NYU. Um, And you'll find that ethnic matching doesn't necessarily correlate to better outcomes. It's the alliance or the relationship that you have with the therapist that um, is correlated to better outcomes, right, to your success in therapy. And perhaps that relationship can be grown faster if, you know, you know, if a person of color is matched with a person of color, but it is also possible to have that alliance with the white therapist and a um, person of color as a patient as well. And that's kind of really where we're trying to double down on at Umute, Um and the research that we're, you know, contributing as well to um, at, in a phased approach is to bring on white clinicians, train them in phase two, um, and then see if the outcomes are truly equivalent Um to having, you know, ethnic matching as well. So currently, today, what we offer is a fifteen-week therapy program with um, a therapist. Currently, our therapists are all a um, Asian American. Um, and we're only serving the Asian American population currently as a part of our initial research pilot for the next four months. But then stage two is really to incorporate the white clinicians and then the, um, Asian patients to see if there is any difference in our outcomes. So yeah, we're taking a very like, um, clinical research approach to validate our hypothesis.
0: Yeah. Well, I like that. and. I guess my my initial reaction actually was like when I heard about um, training that you guys wanted to bring on white clinicians to train them. I, would you imagine there would be resistance for Asian-Americans who are seeking therapy to have a mm-hmm. white therapist?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there might be some resistance. But at the same time, if we can train these white clinicians and kind of certify them saying like, hey, they, they got this culturally culturally affirming, you know, certificate. I I wonder if people would be open to it. Um, my 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 own personal therapist, I've, you know, I've gone through a few. My the therapist that I vibe best with, she is white. Um, and I've tried, you know, speaking to other Asian therapists as well. And it is a different perspective. But I think like, Um, Yeah, I've really bonded over with my white therapist. So I think it's I think people at the end of the day are just looking for someone that they can connect with. And if we're able to train clinicians, white clinicians to speak about race, right, Um, how to handle those conversations, how to be mindful of their own privilege, or where they stand in the relationship, um, I think it's, you know, some studies have already been done at a smaller scale and, and it is possible to have that alliance, a strong alliance um, over time. Um, and it's very important to teach the clinicians how to, you know, in the therapy world, what they call managing rupture and repairs. And so essentially that's like when, a you know, when a patient and a therapist have some sort of rupture or, you know, some sort of um, conversation where it um, impacts the relationship, maybe the therapist said something like um, that wasn't culturally appropriate, you know, or offensive to the client and the client just, you know, nods their head and kind of continues on. We want to be able to recognize those ruptures, right, and let the therapist know so that they can intervene and then re rebond and build that relationship and repair that relationship again. And so that's kind of where the tech piece is hopefully will come in in the future as well. So utilizing AI um, to be able to detect ruptures and to alert the therapist, whether they're white or, you know, a clinician of color color that, you know, that this is something that you might want to address with your client.
0: Oh, that's super interesting. Um, Using AI to detect. But yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, Well, To be very honest, I'm, Uh, skeptical about having a white therapist but uh, I'm skeptical but still open to it Um,
1: (laughs) I love it love it no 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 I hear you you.
0: (laughs) but but I think it's definitely a vibe thing because like personally I don't think I would want an Asian therapist (laughs) like but I would definitely want a person of color like I know there are things that might be too close to the community that I would not feel comfortable talking about to an Asian Mm. person right right um but no, yeah, uh, I think
1: it depends on where the patient is at. Right. And like mm-hmm. what they're yeah, for um, sure, why they're seeking treatment. And so I, I yes. think in certain scenarios, right, for sure, it'll be incredibly beneficial and relevant to match, have ethnic matching. Um, but I wonder if in other scenarios um, that might not have as much, you know, weight in the correlation to, uh, with the outcomes
0: of that patient. So now that you're, what, five, six years in, what are some, I guess, like next steps near future goals for unmute? Yeah,
1: yeah right now we're, we're kind of heads down. Um, We launched in New York. Um, in November of this year, where we trained um, a handful of clinicians under our model of care. Um, and then now we're just recruiting patients for the research pilot. Um, so we have a handful of patients who just started um, earlier this month in December. So we're starting to see our first patients trickle in um, at, as a part of the research project. So we're recording their therapy sessions and we're also paying these participants to complete our assessments. Um, and we're also providing financial aid for therapy for um, these folks who join um, Unmute today as a part of our research pilot. um, So right now we're kind of heads down and just trying to execute for next year. Um, We want to use that data to then apply for federal funding through the NIH. Um, So we're hoping to make next year's uh, grant cycle in the first two quarters. Um, That's kind of where my head's at currently. You know, I try to raise some VC money um, in the early days, and I know I did raise some um money from uh, from 1VC and like a few other angel investors but it just doesn't seem to be the best route for us moving forward. So um federal funding, one, it's non-dilutive. So that's appealing to me mm-hmm, as a founder. Um, but two, it's just more aligned in terms of our goals. Like it's gonna, this is a yeah. long journey. You know, we're not gonna get all these outcomes in, you know, two to three years and have like an exit in five years. Um but really, mm-hmm. yeah, we're slowly growing and hopefully, yeah, um federal funding is probably a
0: better fit in terms of a financial partner. Well that sounds all very Very exciting. And um, you're definitely doing very meaningful work out there. Um, So thank you for that.
1: (laughs) To to add to that. um, I mean, we started off with the Asian American population and we're hoping to use what we learn. from this pilot in training, our Asian clinicians and our white clinicians to then um, reiterate the same process and adapt it to other um, ethnic populations, um, Black Americans, Latinos as well, Latinx um, is the next phase. And so, yeah, slow um, kind of staged approach to serving mm. um, the BIPOC community. No, I love
0: that. Yeah. So then to close out, I guess, like, how's your mother doing now, <laughs> and how yeah. um, is your relationship with her? Yeah.
1: A m- mom's doing better. It is still a journey. And so yes, after yes. I created the matching algorithm and I started seeing all these intakes of folks who are looking for a therapist, I kind of started understanding like what could be a better therapist fit for my mom. And so one, I had to reframe the word therapy for her. So I reframed it to coaching and I was like, mom, you know, right? <laughs> like therapy's okay.
0: like Kumon, right? Remember
1: Kumon back in the day? <laughs>
0: I was like, oh I'm just going to send you to Kumon, mom. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I was That's like, mom, like,
1: Don't you want to work on your communication skills? Like, what if I found you a oh coach yeah. that can teach you how to communicate better? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, because, yeah, a lot of her depression was around, you know, the like her relationship with my father and so her, my dad. And so I've I observed them and they like they don't communicate, you know, like oh my gosh. typical Asian yeah, parents,
0: yeah. but. They're not right, right.
1: here And so I'm like, mom, okay, if I find you a coach, like, um, what kind of person do you think would be a good coach? So I asked her, you know, what would be a good fit. And she told me essentially that she didn't like her first therapist, even though she was Asian, she didn't really care about that. But she wanted someone who was smarter than her. I think her first therapist was too passive. Um it wasn't goal-oriented. She asked a lot about the childhood. So it was more of a psychodynamic approach. So that just wasn't a good fit, psychodynamic, meaning like they kind of talk about the childhood and figuring out like, you know, how that shows up in, you know, their adulthood, like their upbringing and whatnot. My mom just really wanted someone who was solution focused and would, you know, kind of guide her along the way to tell her how to address her issues and her relationship. Um, And Mm -hmm. so that's kind of what she meant by someone smarter than her i think she wanted someone more direct um as well um and so i you know did a whole new round of you know interviews of therapists and called a bunch of people up and then you know i found one therapist who ended up you know i had a really great conversation with her and i encourage everyone to do a phone consultation before booking their first session as well um and on that phone consult, I asked her, you know, about her purse, about her background. Um, I told her that my mom had didn't do well with her first therapist, and she's looking for someone more direct, goal oriented. Um, and and then on that call, I also asked the therapist, like, "Hey, can you refer to yourself as a coach?" And so she was kind of bought in <laughs> oh my on the gosh. watch. But my mom oh, knows God. all of this after the fact. Um, so okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, now, right, um, she's in a better space. Um, she went to therapy for a bit, for a couple of months with that therapist. Um, and then she was actually very open to trying um, psychiatry and medication. So, um, yeah, so she's on antidepressants today. And it's a journey for our family. And I'm still learning. She's still learning. And there are good days and then there are bad, um, you know, worser days. But um, I think overall, like, yeah, it's been a journey. And she she is doing better today. Okay
0: that's good to hear and mental illness is always a journey like not many people talk about that it's not like you have meds and then you're quote unquote like healed or fixed um but it's always a journey um not linear changes day by day (laughs) but yeah thank you again colleen um for coming on the show where can listeners find you connect with you um support you on your journey
1: Yeah, you can find us on our website is www.unmute.today. And our Instagram is unmute at unmute.today as well, too.
0: Awesome. Thank you again for being on the show.
1: Great. Thank you so much, Karen. Appreciate the work you're doing, too, and, and sharing all of our stories.